Good morning. I'd like to follow on in my reflections this morning from some of the stuff I spoke last night. Um, if we were to define two tasks in meditation, when it comes to the cultivation of uh, fluid attention, then we could say one of the tasks would be the development of temporal continuity. So being able to stay with something for longer. We're all having attention. We continually keep being attentive in one way or the other. And the Abhidhamma, in fact, is quite insistent that attention is one of the universal factors of mind. It is part of every event in our psychological experience. Um, but that attention is nece- not necessarily mindfulness. Yeah? That's just plain attention. Buddhist psychology makes very clear distinction between attention and mindfulness. Uh, one of the things the mindfulness movement has yet to learn, that attention is not automatically mindfulness. Uh, for this little footnote, we'll need more space than I have now. Um, so, attention as plain attention is one of the primary tasks. And attention can be trained in two directions. It can be trained in terms of time. We can learn to be more continually attentive. And it can be t- trained in terms of space. It can be trained in terms of spatial stability. So, these would be the two major tasks in meditation, any meditation tradition, from you know early Buddhist stuff to Dzogchen. Basically, all of these traditions understand that attention can be trained either by learning to stay with something for a longer time, or by creating a field awareness, an awareness that is basically stabilizing a field of awareness in which different things can arise and cease. So, since we're all attentive, and since attention is part of the universal factors of um, mind, why don't we all develop mindfulness? Why don't we all develop immediate insights? Why aren't we all free? Well, our attention is rather topical. It is rather episodical. The magic of attention starts to kick in when attention becomes continuous. When we stay with things longer, then things become really fascinating. Then things become really insightful and revealing. In other words, if our contact with an event in our experience is not just momentary, but it is actually continuing, if we are capable of developing object constancy of something, even though the object, in scare quotes, because the object may be a process or it may be a person or it may be uh, an inner development, because the object changes, it is not easy to keep relating to that object in a stable way. That's where the magic of uh, continued attention comes in. Now, if we are capable of following with our attention something that is moving, something that is changing, as a breath, for example, the sensations of a breath, constantly changing, and yet if we learn to keep 
relating to the sensations of that breathing in a constant and continued way, some dramatic things start to happen. The same holds true for attending to a melody in, in the same way, to a thought in the same way, or, um, you know, it's no secret that if you deepen relationship, you're going to, you know, find ways to steady this and to learn to stay with something. You're not just staying there for the honeymoon phase. You're trying to continue this. You're trying to deepen your relationship through the changes of that relationship. So the same holds true for relating to one's sensations of breathing. It's the staying power that really brings about the magic. The other dimension is maybe less obvious because this the temporal continued relationship basically means that while the thing changes, I'm going to follow along through its changes and I stick relating to it. So there's a degree of tenacity in there. There's a degree of um, anchoring in there. There's a degree of mobility in there. Now the second dimension of attentional practice, the spatial one, operates in different ways. It establishes rather than a while the first one establishes an object awareness, the second one establishes a field awareness. So I'm going to be paying attention to what's happening in this area. The old Latin word contemplation you know, comes from that notion. The templum was a patch in the heavens. Yeah? The word auspiciousness basically means looking at the skies. So you look for auspicious signs in a particular patch in the sky. So birds are moving. So that was the job of Roman augurs, divining the future from the signs in the sky. And later on, that patch in the sky was taken down to be the name of the place for the temple, the consecrated area, the sacred space. And the word contemplation takes its meaning and, in in fact, its roots from that notion of creating a sacred space and attending to that sacred space in a deeply introspective way. So if we contemplate, the word contemplation tells us a lot about that second form of training of attention, creating a sacred space, an attentional field of awareness. And I try to stabilize that field. So... Stabilizing a field of awareness means that in that field, objects and events can arise and disappear without the field collapsing. So my awareness is now object independent. That's a magic little thing. So in the first case, temporal continuity, we try to get as much object constancy as possible. In the second type of training, creating a field awareness, We're trying to create an awareness that becomes independent of objects. That means things can arise in there, do their number and disappear. And our attention does not disappear. Different type of training, equally powerful, equally useful. Buddhist meditation traditions tend to fall in one or the other category. Um, You know, right from from the word go in the early Pali days to Uh, the late Tibetan or Japanese versions, you can find most of the traditions can be more or less lumped into one or the other category. Both of these categories are powerful. Both of them need different um, approaches. And both of them, I believe, are indispensable.
I'd like to give you four little similes. They should have fitted in last night, but I was already talking an hour, so I spared you those. Um, these are similes from the commentaries, and they are given in reference to the practice of mindfulness of breathing. The first of the similes speaks um, of how a farmer who plows his field with oxen, after the oxen have done some work and he takes a break, he releases the oxen and the oxen immediately disappear from where he has released them. And rather than standing on the meadow, they just disappear in the forest. And our uh, farmer has to now get back his oxen because the work isn't done yet and he needs his oxen to continue his work. So since they have disappeared in the forest, he doesn't run after them. He doesn't chase after the oxen in the forest. Instead, he takes his rope and his, uh, his stick and he waits at the watering hole for them. And once the oxen have run around in the forest for a while, they can only get thirsty and they come to the watering hole. And when they go to the watering hole, it's hot. They also take a little bath and then they come out and our farmer just picks them up there. And while they stand there on coming out of the water, he quite easily can put the rope of mindfulness around their neck and continue working with them afterwards using his goad or using his uh, stick which is insight. Yeah? So instead of chasing his oxen individually through the woods, he just waits till they come back naturally. He's smart. He knows about his oxen and he knows what they will do. And he will catch them with the slightest amount of effort. And we are told in the same way the meditator uses the rope of mindfulness and the goat of insight and looks for the oxen, uh, for the breath, at, his, at their most natural place. So we are encouraged to seek the most natural place for the breathing. Rather than chasing our breath all through the body, we are encouraged to go to that part in the body where the, where the breath are most naturally felt. Yeah, be that the belly, or be that the nose, or be that the heart, or the chest area. Wherever you feel your breath most naturally, that is the place you try to attend to your breath. Well, it's an interesting little image. The second of the similes is called the lame man. And it speaks of a man who obviously has had some injury. And his wife and his child are on a swing. You have to imagine it is hot. Maybe under a mosquito net. You can see that in Thailand quite a lot. Uh, mothers with young children, they have a hammock. And the hammock is in, mo in motion. So the mother and the child swing in the hammock. And our lame man uh, is sitting there and is moving the hammock or the swing with the mother and the child on it or in it. And in the same way, he sees, you know, the swing moving through his field of vision, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the whole thing moves through his field of vision. But the layman does not actually follow with his gaze that movement at all. He just holds contact with the area of the swing he touches and he gives some energy. So he, his, in the same way, he doesn't actually look at the beginning, the middle, and the ending of 
breaths, he doesn't try to catch those. All he does is he keeps contact with that area of the swing where he is actually moving, where he gives his energy either with the hand or with the foot. So we're encouraged to focus on that area as the area of action in in reference to my initial statements about spatial stability we stabilize attention at a particular space rather than trying to get the beginning and the end of the breath we try to stabilize attention at the area where we most naturally feel the breath and we let the breath go past this area yeah be that the nose be that the chest be that the belly so we settle our attention at that place The third of the similes is an interesting one uh, from the Patisambhida Manga and it speaks it's a simile of the soul there's a famous simile of the soul from the suttas which is about something else which is about loving kindness uh, this simile of the soul describes mindfulness of breathing as if we were sawing a piece of wood with a hand saw and we are told the object of meditation is the log on the on the ground and the movement of this of the the soul's teeth is like the in and the out breath and like the person sawing putting his or her attention not to the entire movement of the soul but the attention is focused on the place where the blade where the soul's teeth actually hit the log. Huh? It's very easy if you actually do that. Remember how you do sawing. You, you don't follow your movements of the breath. Huh? You don't follow your movements of the saw, but you focus your gaze on the point where the blade hits the wood. And that is your area of action. So rather than following the breath in and out, you're actually staying with your attention, stabilized at one point while the movement of breathing goes past that area and your area of action the place to be stabilized in your attentional focus is the contact point between the soul's teeth and the log i find that very uh, useful that is to me very very, uh, pertinent the last image is the image of a gatekeeper uh, that image occurs in a variation twice in the suttas as well. So it's, uh, it has, in many ways it has more weight than the other similes because oh, uh, the, the one with the saw is from the, a commentary that is quite old. Uh, the other two similes seem to be from commentary somewhat later. Um, the gatekeeper stands at the gate and he investigates the people coming in and asks them the purpose of the visit. He asks them what they have in their bags. He asks them uh, what their plans are. The gatekeeper doesn't go around in the city and checks people's bags and asks them what what business they have in the city. He only does that for the people at the entry. He's only interested in in the people coming in to the city and maybe the people leaving the city. 
But he's not running around to all the people in the city and asking their purpose. He's a gatekeeper. He's not a policeman. So, as the gatekeeper inquires from the oncoming, the visiting people, what they're about and what their intention is and what, they're, uh, what they carry in their bags, in other words, what, uh, whether they're, whether they're, uh, what they're up to, the, the same way mindfulness attends only to the breath that are actually entering the body. So that's particularly for the practice with the nose. That simile is meant for the practice with the nose. So we're only at the entry point of the breath into the body, trying to acknowledge the differing intensities and the differing felt quality of, or the changes in, in the texture and in the felt quality of in and out breathing. We're not following the breath down into the body. We're not interested what the breath does in the body. We trust the body to know what to do with the breath. But we're interested to establish uh, a spatial awareness and continuity of contact with the sensation of breathing at the entry point. Gatekeeper is like if you're a host at your own party. You welcome people and when you welcome people you don't go in and uh, sit down at the table with them. You welcome people and then you lead them in and then you go back to the door and welcome the next people. If you want to be a welcoming um, host, you need to uh, cut that fairly short. It's important that they are welcomed, that they are seen, that they may be, you know, you shake their hands or you hug them. You lead them in, you make sure they know where the drinks are or where the party actually happens and then you go back to the door and wait for the next guest. You don't go and hang out with them, maybe later. So in the same way, we are told to be specific in the area of our attention. I believe these four images are quite useful. The saw, about the focus point where we meet, we make contact with the sensations of breathing. Um, The swing, that despite the big movement, the actual area of awareness is the point of contact. Um, the, the image of the gatekeeper and the... Uh, what did we have? The first one just fell out of my mind. Oh, yeah, the oxen, right. Thank you. I just fell out of my mind. The oxen's. Uh, disappearing in the forest and the smart farmer going to pick them up where he knows they will come and be quite, quite docile. Yeah? So try to see whether any of these images speaks to you and try to clarify for yourself what you're actually doing when you meditate. Temporal continuity, staying with something, a chosen, clearly defined object or event or process of your practice, and spatial stability, an area of a, more, a bigger or smaller focus of attention that you try to stabilize. One aspect in this, um, particularly in the latter two of those images, the, is the degree of stability. Yeah? 
Sati has a powerfully stabilizing effect on our attentional focus. That's the basis for samadhi. And sometimes that uh, is underestimated. Two of those images quite clearly speak of a commitment to spatial stability. Yeah. The gatekeeper doesn't go in. Uh, the man on the swing doesn't actually follow the whole movement. Even the third image of the saw, it's a commitment to the point of contact rather than following the whole thing. In fact, even the first image you could uh, see as an encouragement of stability because he doesn't follow his oxen into the forest. He doesn't run after them, even though they have run into the forest and he wants them. So he waits till they come and manifest naturally at the place and then he uh, catches them again. Good. Okay, let's practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.